You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What is up, everybody? Matt Perino here, nyupsyracuse.com. Coming to you, I'm so, so sorry for the delay. The masked <laughs> man in black there, uh, Mr. Bruce, uh, exclusive Bruce Nolan, uh, had some technical difficulties, but I think we got it all figured out now. So we're going to try to bring you a fire podcast as long as he'll stay uh, with us here. All right. I am joined top right, Ryan Talbot, my tag team partner at nyupsyracuse.com. And below us, is a tag team, uh, a pretty good tag team in their own right. Uh, Bruce, Nick, and Nolan is the show over on Buffalo Rumblings uh, Podcast Network. Bottom left, Nick Bat. Bottom right, uh, Bruce Nolan. And we are going to talk about some 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 Bills things here today. I mean, we're all a little bit flustered. I the, the race to get Bruce into this chat room tonight was nothing short of a, a thriller that Oscar worthy, and so it was a fun time. How are all you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Doing good. There will be a 30 for 30 on my entry into this podcast. <laughs> what if I told you? It's funny you say that because uh, it was a couple of days ago that I that I heard Brandon Bean was on Adam Schefter's podcast, and he thinks that there's going to be a cool 30 for 30 someday on the 2020 NFL draft because of what these guys are dealing with. And it's interesting, you know, technology, I mean, we're, we're in it in the middle of it right now. I mean, trying to figure this out to link up from our houses. I mean, this is this is low tech. This is low grade. Just imagine what things are going to be like in two weeks. Do you guys feel that Brandon, Bean, and company uh, at One Bill's Drive or wherever they'll be at at their respective houses, that they're kind of set up better uh, to uh, be successful in this kind of draft because of the work that they probably did in the fall and the spring? Anybody can chime in here. I, I sure t- hope so. That's for sure. I hope they're set up better than we are. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is one of those things where having a, a first-time head coach or a first-time GM would be a real significant problem. And so yeah. the continuity factor by itself, I think, is really valuable. But the Bills are going into this offseason without that as a problem. Brandon Bean, this isn't his first rodeo. He's surrounded by a very experienced front office that he trusts to make decisions if Brandon Bean's internet goes out and he's calling people scrambling on his cell phone the way that we were a few minutes ago, I anticipate it'll go pretty well for them because he has experienced people, people who were general managers of other teams, people who are assistant general managers, vice presidents of personnel, people who are experienced and know what they're doing. I think that's going to serve us well. 
Imagine being Cleveland right now, right? Cleveland has a whole new front office, whole new coaching staff, and they're dealing with this uh, in a shortened off season for those guys to, you know, make decisions for the draft. It's a horrible position to be in. And they have a quarterback who's in the same year as Josh Allen. And we all know how important that third year is being portrayed both, you know, to the fans and the way the organization is talking of it themselves. So uh, I would not want to be anywhere near a situation where you didn't have the continuity and longevity that we do right now. Yeah, I agree with both of those stances. And, you know, it's also kind of nice if there was ever a year to not have a first round pick, this might be the year to that it's okay not to because you're going to see a lot of these. Maybe there will be some glitches or some issues and things like that. Uh, that's something Brennan Bean doesn't have to worry about night one of the draft. He doesn't have to worry about uh, anything happening suddenly. He's going to have a whole day to kind of reassess and go from there and figure out what he wants to do on day two of the draft. So uh, I see a, a comment or two in the in the comment section. Why are you wearing a mask at home? Bruce, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, why don't you tell him a little bit about why uh, you're covered up there? It's not not an N95 mask from what I'm seeing. This is not an official coronavirus mask. You know, it, it's just really bad luck, Matt. You know, the first time we did a pod, it was Halloween. And I just, I couldn't seem to get my mask off. And so I still had that on from Halloween. And now this time is the coronavirus. There just seems to continuously be a reason why I have to have my face covered. It, it's really a shame because of how good looking I am that I have to keep covering my face. But unfortunately it's just a reality we have to deal with. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, go check out uh, the Nick and Nolan show. You can look it up on all the uh, podcasts, any way that you get your podcast. It's over on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. These guys do a really good job and we wanted to dive into some bills topics here tonight. But before we do, I want to talk to a little bit of, to you guys as huge bills fans. And obviously you're both from the Cleveland area uh, you don't live in Western New York, but you've grown up diehard Bills fans. And one day you just decided, hey, we're going to start talking about this team uh, to the general public uh, and start putting our takes out there and uh, join the conversation. And I wanted to ask you, it's like, I'm sure there's a bunch of fans sitting at home that maybe, you know, listen to your podcast or, or interact with your work at Buffalo Rumblings and are sitting there like, man, how do I get involved? And for, for those fans that do reach out to you, what do you guys tell them? Bruce, you want to try this one? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the the way that we got into it was not the way that a lot of people get into it. I think we were trying to promote something specific when we got into it. We were promoting the Cleveland Bills backers, which is part of what Nick has a co-founding sponsorship in. He is a co-founder of the Cleveland Bills backers. And it was started as a way to kind of reach the people locally so we could tell them about the Cleveland Bills backers. And it just kind of spun her off from there. But what I tell people when they come to me and they DM me and they say, hey, you know, we're thinking about this, is that you really have to have a lot of introspection before you do this. Because it's probably not what you think it's going to be. But I guarantee you that if you don't know why you're doing it, and if you have your priorities confused and priorities inform decision making, you people make decisions in their lives primarily whether they realize it or not, based on their priority set. And if you don't have your priority set correct, then this can get really weird real fast. <laughs> you know, chasing the numbers and chasing the, the growth and chasing that. The good news is that neither Nick and I have real significant ambitions for the podcast to be something, you know, massive. And 
We've been very fortunate that Buffalo Rumblies has given us a platform to be able to do it on a significant level. And that's awesome. And that's wonderful. But he and I both had very clear visions of what we wanted to accomplish when we came in to do this. And because of that, I think it made it a lot smoother. And so my biggest advice to people when they come to me and they tell me that is make sure you're on the same page with yourself and with any of the partners you have. I think um, I tell people that if you if you want to do the podcast and you're only doing it for yourself, then you can do absolutely whatever you want. Uh, but if you are doing it and then you are going to be disappointed if you don't see uh, growth, listens, all of that stuff. And like I say, Bruce and I, like what Bruce said, we we started our podcast and it was not for uh, it wasn't, I mean, it was for the general public, but it was, it was for the community of people who were a part of the bills backers podcast or the bills backers, uh, group in Cleveland. So we were sort of doing whatever we wanted. Um, and then if you are doing it and you, you actually do want to see growth and you want to get listens and all that, and, and you want to start networking with people and whatever, I would say, just make sure that you have, um, some angle that you're bringing that is, that is, uh, you think that's going to be different or valuable in some way. I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Right. I mean, everybody has their own flavor and is going to do their own thing, but, um, there's just so many bills podcasts now. I mean, so, so many that if you are going to join the fray, that's totally fine. I mean, there's no barrier stopping anybody from doing that. Uh, but when you come in, hopefully you have a vision for something that you are going to do that is either a little different than what's already happening or is, um, you know, there's something else going on that makes, that makes whatever you're going to do different than, you know, the, I mean, literally like 24 other bills pods that are out there at this point. It's such a cool time to be, uh, you know, not only in, in social media and sports, but bills, mafia, social media and sports, because, you know, this ascension right now, this trending upwards that this bills organization has had over the last couple of years, combined with really just the explosion of the community on social media makes it so much fun to have, you know, people, uh, you know, in the building, you know, media covering the team, the, the extended media, uh, the, the, the fan element now that's, that's involved. It's really, really a fun community to be a part of. And I want to say, I, we appreciate both of your contribute, uh, contributions to the scene, but let's dive into some, some football stuff here, because that's what everybody in the chat is here for. And that's what I want to really get to. And I want to start with culture because, it's, it's a word that gets thrown around so much, especially with this regime, what, what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have tried to, to create. And, you know, one of the big things that, you know, was mentioned when the Stefan Diggs deal was made was, wait, is this a culture fit here? Because, you know, Stefan Diggs, a you know, wide receiver, a diva, if you will, has, you know, raised some eyebrows in Minnesota for some of his behavior. And Brandon Bean came out and quickly said, listen, we're not looking for choir boys. We're looking for guys that love ball and they want to come in here, work every day and, and, and add something to the team dynamic. So they did their due diligence all the way back to the, to last year at the trade deadline. So the conversation that I want to strike up here between the four of us is, has there been anything this century for a Bills team that's approached the kind of organizational synergy that's in place now with this regime? Ryan, why don't you start us off? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to say that if it, if there has been or hasn't, because it, when you go back, you know, obviously there, there was a long rough stretch here for Bills and, and Bills fans in general. 
there wasn't success. There was a lot of turnover, whether you're talking uh, head coach, GM, this, that, or the other, and a lot of success. So I, I don't necessarily think that the culture was very strong in the last 20-some years. And then you go all the way back to those Super Bowl teams, you know, great talent. Uh, but culture, I, I don't know. You know, the one thing I've always heard about that team is it's a good thing the media back then because a lot of the antics that those players were probably getting into uh, off the field and things like that. So you, you don't know how wild it necessarily was back then with that team, with those players, with that roster. Uh, like I said, all the talent in the world, but maybe the culture wasn't the best there at that time. So what, what Bean and McDermott have put together here in this short time is something that's been uh, truly impressive in my opinion. Let any guys chime in if you want. The thing for me about this regime is that if you if you try and balance it by the two C's, right, competency and cohesiveness, you could make an argument that it hasn't been this combination, not no pun intended with a third C, but no combination of those two things since definitely the turn of the century. But maybe the last time competency and, co- and cohesion combined to give us some sort of optimism was Donahoe and Malarkey in 2004, where we knew we had a GM who at least knew what he was doing. We don't know if he necessarily made the best decisions all the time, but he was an experienced and respected personnel man in the NFL. And Malarkey had us inches away from breaking the playoff drought until we lose to the third stringers of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But competency and cohesiveness sometimes elude each other. There's sometimes when you think a GM might be competent, but because there's no cohesion, you don't necessarily know. Or there's good cohesion, but it doesn't really matter because they're not competent. And so you have to have both. You have to have competency and you have to have cohesion. And I don't think we've had it this century. I really don't. I would agree. I mean, the results, I'll just say that I think the results speak for themselves. I mean, this sort of synergy this sort of everyone being in a you know robust lockstep if we want to take a, a some vernacular out of a previous regime the we have obviously it didn't exist to the extent that it took us anywhere that was worth being success wise so um no i mean the short answer to my on my end is is we have not seen anything like this uh in quite some time and it's going to be interesting to see how this off-season plays out and when things kind of return to some semblance of normalcy where, you know, this, you know, the team can get together and start to work toward, you know, this 2020 season. I mean, I I think I saw something even this evening that uh, things are starting to get canceled uh, in Western New York. Uh, My wife, Canal Fest, I think was just canceled, which is in late June or early July. And so, you know, we're we're looking at the first time these guys are going to get together at the earliest is is when training camp breaks. So that's going to change the dynamic of this season. And I think I want to talk about culture because culture will never be as important as it is right now. How many new Cleveland Browns players are going to meet Kevin Stefanski in person for the first time when training camp starts? And I read a story the other day that Stefanski is still working out of his home in Minnesota. So I think there's so many teams around the uh, league that are going to be struggling with this, you know, what we're up against in 2020 to get this season started. And it puts the Bills in a really good spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there for as much uncertainty 
as this is, I mean, everyone here, I think we're all dealing with the consequences of what this is doing in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And, you know, multiply that with all of the pressure and the high stakes that come with what needs to happen uh, in the NFL draft and in the offseason through free agency and all that stuff for the Bills to have the brain trust of what they have in the front office, the the fact that those guys and Sean McDermott and his staff all, I think, understand each other very well and share several priorities, even if there are some maybe slight differences of opinion about this or that. You couldn't – this could not have happened – uh, unless you know we're just in this situation for another ten years with this group of guys leading the organization, hypothetically further down the line, it might be better to have it then than now. But I, there's no time in recent memory that this would have been less of a significant issue than it is now. For sure. Uh, let's move right along because I, I want to get into some some f- actual football uh, topics here. There's some, some cool, uh, fun conversation going on in the comment section. We'll hit on a little bit of that at the end for sure. But first things up is, is cornerback number two. And it's, you know, it's interesting. You look at this roster now and they've really solidified the position after really going at most of last season with the trio of Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, and Kevin Johnson. They've added, uh, you know, Josh Norman and EJ Gaines back into the mix. I think he was supposed to be in the mix, but obviously injuries cost him his season last year. So now you have three guys in line to compete for that CB2 spot. And I'll start with you, Bruce, because I know how how much you love defensive backs here. Um, how comfortable are you with the three that are in the on the roster right now? Um, and maybe who at 54 or 88 do you think could be a real threat to any of these three or all of these three you know, leading up to the season. If I knew EJ Gaines had the ability to stay healthy for the entire season, I would consider the bullet hole to be appropriately band-aided. But at this point, you have to count any benefit you get from EJ Gaines as being a bonus because he hasn't right. stayed healthy. So I think he's clearly the most talented one of the CB2's options we currently have. But I'm not comfortable with that place. Now, there is a line of thinking based on Sean McDermott's history here with the Bills that maybe he's comfortable with that spot because they've kind of had a a kind of a get-by guy in that spot for the last couple of years. But I think there are options. At 54, there's a chance that one of the late one, early two sort of corners where there's this weird grouping of corners in the late one, early twos. Jeff Gladney, Trevon, uh, Trevon Diggs, Noah Egbenogany, Christian Fulton, Jalen Johnson, A.J. Terrell, all these people are, you know, late one, early twos. I wouldn't be shocked to see any of them off the board at 16, and I wouldn't be shocked to see any of them off the board at 54. It's this weird grouping in there. And so there's a chance one of those people is still there at 54. And if they are, you're going to be hard-pressed to not find appropriate value and need matching up. When you get down to 88, right, 86 actually, then you have – Things like, okay, what about Troy Pride Jr. from Notre Dame? What about Mike Ojemudia from Iowa? These are players who I really think can step right in and compete for CB2. When you start to get into later rounds, you know, look at Reggie Robinson from Tulsa and things like that. You start to get into more developmental people, people who might have traits, but they don't necessarily are somebody I'm really comfortable getting picked on a lot. Because that's one of the things we got to talk about with CB2. 
if Tredavious White's on one side of the field, you're going to get picked on if right. you're a CB2 in this defense. And I'm not interested in throwing in a fifth-round rookie and going, hey, just, you know, have fun. Let me know how it goes for you. This is a spot where there are going to be people at 54 and 88, I listed off some names I'm comfortable with, that I really think can make a difference on this team right away day one. I think there's a real level of confidence in Josh Norman, the, the Josh Norman signing. And I know this is interesting because I know Bruce has some feelings on this, but Ryan, let me swing it to you. Everything we've heard in the last week on from Brandon and obviously uh, Dean Marlowe spoke a little bit about what, what the Josh Norman signing means to their secondary. I mean, is the, are, are you going into this like I am into training camp with, you know, Josh Norman in the driver's seat for that CB2 spot? Uh, until the draft, I guess. Um, but I, I'm kind of in that same boat as Bruce where I'm not sold on this group. I, I actually think that after free agency, I think the Bills overpaid a little bit for Josh Norman. I'm not I, – I know it was just a $6 million deal, but you, you see Kevin Johnson signed for three and a half. You see some other guys signed for this uh, discounted rate. I'm not sure Norman's worth that. I, I think he may have lost a step athletically. Yes, he knows the defense. Yes, he fits Buffalo's defense a lot better than he did in, in Washington. But I have questions there. Uh, he already touched upon EJ Gaines. You know, talented as can be, but can't stay healthy. Uh, and some of it's bad luck. Two concussions in three weeks in Cleveland, for instance. You know, that's not something that anyone can could predict. But then he's had a history of, of lower body injuries and things like that. Uh, Levi Wallace was on for most of the season. I, I do think that he was starting to rebound a little bit late in the year. I thought he had a nice game against Pittsburgh um, and obviously was injured early in that week 17 game against the Jets where he had an interception and then kind of gave himself up. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not sold. I, I would actually be thrilled if the Bills went cornerback in round two or round three. Uh, Diggs was one name that was already mentioned. Damon Arnett is a name that I would love to see in round two. I think that would fit Bryce Hall, round two or round three. I, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out where he's going to go in this draft class. Uh, a, a guy that was going to be talked about as a potential first-round pick before he had, he had a severe injury this year. Those are three names. Troy Pride Jr. would be a great get in, in round three. So if any of those guys were off, uh, came off the board in round two or round three, I would kind of say they had just as good of a shot as Josh Norman uh, for that cornerback two spot entering the uh, training camp, whenever that is to be. As confident as I am in Josh Norman, and I'll ask you, Nick, about you know, your thoughts on it too, um, I do think that we can learn something about what they feel Josh Norman is by what they do in the draft. Because I think that, you know, Brandon said, you know, Brandon's going to be sitting on his hands for those first 32 picks. He's going to start getting a little bit antsy as day two starts. And if one of these, you know, CBs drops that maybe they really like, uh, like a Diggs or an Igbenogany, like you mentioned, th that's somebody that, you know, he might sit there and say, hey, let's package a couple of these later round picks, move up in the second round to get a CB because, after some of these guys, you know, you start looking at some of these these depth edge rusher guys, and I'm and I'm looking at like in the fourth round, uh, Wilkie's and uh, Hightower. They they have some sneaky upside that I think that you know if, if you don't land one of those edges or you can get the value at one of those low first round CBs by trading up a few picks, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'll let you, uh, I'll let the uh, Nick and Nolan show take over for a minute on that. The only thing I guess I, I'll say that wasn't already said about the corner situation is that you mentioned Kevin Johnson, and I don't know. That's not. I guess there there probably are a handful of things, but this feels like 
the biggest and most recent situation where I disagree with McBean uh, with the decision that they made because they paid Josh Norman more than what Kevin Johnson got on the market. And Kevin Johnson, if, if we had signed Kevin Johnson right now, and it was we were going in with Kevin Johnson and Levi Wallace, uh, EJ Gaines, yes or no, I, I don't really care. Uh, I would feel so much better. I was very satisfied. I wouldn't say I was over overjoyed, but I was very satisfied with what Kevin Johnson gave the defense last year. Now we have th- three guys who are 50-50. You've got Levi Wallace, you've got Josh Norman, and you've got uh, – uh, Gosh, uh, EJ Gaines. So, and I would love, I mean, I loved EJ Gaines in 2017. Loved him. Thought he was awesome. Would love to have that back. But I mean, that's uh, soft tissue injuries plus the bad luck with the concussions. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough one there. As far as, you know, looking at pass rusher versus um, corner in the draft, I'm probably, with all the work that was done on the defensive line, I am satisfied with that as it sits now more than I am with CB2. Although you could arguably say that each one, you know, do you want to have Trent Murphy on the field as much as he's going to be on the field right now? Or would you like to get an upgrade of some kind there? Or do you want to have Josh Norman or Levi Wallace or EJ Gaines, any of them on the field as much as they're going to be? Or would you like to potentially give yourself an option for an upgrade? I, I guess if I'm choosing between those two, I still have a sour taste in my mouth more than most about Trent Murphy. So I would be interested in pursuing that more, but I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not super confident about the um, about the cornerback position either. So Matt, maybe- let me disagree yeah. with one thing here, and I'll let you come back in, Bruce. I think that we're misrepresenting Kevin Johnson's value a little bit. I think you pay a guy like Josh Norman because of the potential ceiling as opposed to what I think you saw in Kevin Johnson last year is what Kevin Johnson is, and I don't think it was necessarily satisfactory. I'd have to go back and look and watch all of his reps over the course of the whole season, but when he was in the game, I never thought like, oh, they're set on that side of the field. And I even think in that Houston game, I have to go back and watch that again. It's been a couple months. I don't think he was great in that game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody could jump in here. Overall, I was okay with Kevin Johnson. I was okay with Kevin Johnson. I felt like he had the athletic upside to be able to do the things that specifically gave Levi Wallace trouble. Because Levi Wallace, you know, for all the things that he does well, is, you know, slight and slow. And so he has physical limitations where, you know, Kevin Johnson has the physical upside that made him a first-round pick. So I was okay with Kevin Johnson. I know he wasn't – he didn't live up to first-round billing. No one's – I don't think anyone should misrepresent that by any means, but part of it's probably because he was able to give us an inverse skill set that made us more satisfied when we watched the failures of Levi Wallace. When we watched Levi Wallace get burned, we didn't watch it from Kevin Johnson. When we watched Levi Wallace get big boyed, we didn't see it from Kevin Johnson. So because he had the physical traits, it probably satisfied the, what was lacking when we watched Levi Wallace. But you made a really great point there about late-round pass rushers versus later-round corners. And I think that this is where it's important to understand that they might both be needs, but there's a difference because there's a difference in sub-need. So, yes, corners a need. 
yes, Pass is unique. But specifically, what is it about it that makes it unique? What do we need on the defensive line? Well, why do we need an edge? Well, it's because we need youth. We need youth on the defensive line. Well, why do we need a corner? Because we're not entirely sure any of the three people we have can play. That's a different kind of need. So I'm all about taking the corner earlier because, yes, they're both needs. But if you start getting into why it is we have the need, all of a sudden that changes a little bit. Somebody asked, Bruce, if you're wearing a bra on your face. Um, I'm losing it. The, the live comment section is a little yeah. bit different. I do. Um, I, I want to say one other thing. About, I want to say one other thing about this topic while we're on it. So here's here's part of I think the dissatisfaction that I am consistently feeling with the cornerback position. It is when we signed guys uh, last last off season, We signed a ton of free agents, right? I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was it was a significant haul, a lot more than normal. When we signed those guys. A lot of those guys were coming in and they were given – this was an opportunity for them to prove it because they they didn't have such a great experience at their last stop. You know, Now, some guys didn't have a lot, a lot of experience at their last stop because they were buried, like John Feliciano. But when you bring those guys on, Bills fans didn't watch that guy struggle that much. I mean, most Bills fans. Now, some Bills fans who are true connoisseurs of the entire league and watch everybody and keep up with everybody, maybe they would be familiar with the struggles that Spencer Long had. They would be familiar with the struggles that Kevin Johnson had in their last stop. These guys on the Bills roster right now, we as Bills fans have watched Levi Wallace struggle. We as Bills fans watched EJ Gaines get hurt significant like multiple times and then flame out and then go to Cleveland and kind of keep up with him a little bit. And here he just continues to still have injury problems. And Josh Norman is a big enough name when he went to he went to DC that you know we were able to keep up and see that he really flamed out there on a gigantic contract. So I think that's part of it is that there's a consciousness about these three players that Bills fans have or that I have. I guess I'm speaking of myself as a, as a general Bills fan who isn't that involved in everything outside of the Bills. That tickles like it makes me more dissatisfied and more antsy about wanting to answer that than otherwise if you just signed a bunch of guys who were probably similar to these three off the street but they were guys that i had never followed and if somebody who said well this is the upside of them like you said about josh norman i would be like oh i can drink that kool-aid that's fine but i watched these guys with my own eyes or i was very familiar with them uh and so because i gained that knowledge myself i'm not just absorbing it from someone else it get, makes my skepticism a lot harder to buck I think that's a valid point. Um, and going back to the discussion about pass rusher versus cornerback, things like that, um, guys like Willikies in, in those uh, day three, early day three, there could be value there. But let's also not forget that I think this team likes Daryl Johnson, someone that's already on their roster, day three pick, played a lot more snaps than I think some people realized, not only on defense but on special teams. Mike Love's coming back. He's another guy that I think they, they like. Now, maybe they don't have – uh, the next big thing at pass rusher in terms of their youth, but they don't necessarily need that this year. They, they still have Addison. They still have Hughes. They have Murphy who did come alive against the Jets in week 17 and against the Texans in the playoffs. Maybe that's something to build off of. Um, I get the skepticism there though, it, why some fans might be ready to move on in, in that regard. But, but I really do think that cornerback among those two positions could be the bigger issue as, as we've already said. With Trey White on one side, the, the ball's going to be going to the other side of the field early and often. 
uh, especially if teams are, are playing from behind against the Bills this season. Oh, that would be sweet. Teams playing <laughs> behind against the Bills this season. As if we could say that with some Sounds confidence. Funny. That would be right. awesome. Do you have anything else to add, Bruce? I don't want to steal your thunder no, here. No, I'm good. Bra right. got your tongue. Bra's got his tongue. Um, <laughs> Damn it, Nick. <laughs> it is kind of like if you just if you just arrive on the chat right now and take a look at you know your whole getup, it is overwhelming. And this will be available <laughs> on in podcast form, so people that are listening won't be able to see the the wonders of Bruce in a in a in a in a mask, a homemade mask, and a Bills. Here's another thing: you went with the Bills beanie which is extra warm. So I can just imagine the kind of, you know, whole deal you got going on under there. It's got to be a lot to deal with, but we're going to be moving it's on here. Go ahead. It's definitely uncomfortable. I'm not. <laughs> Beauty so, is pain. So, you know, one of the other big draft questions that I, I wanted to chat with you guys about is, is a topic that has been, you know, sneaky, like consistently, a fire topic within Bill's mafia over the last two weeks. And that is RB two. And, and the whole discussion about whether the bill should take a running back, you know, at 54, what running back will be there at 54. And it's interesting. You look at what's on the roster now and you have a guy in devil's Devin Singletary, who was arguably one of the best backs in the league for the second half of the season last year. And you're looking for somebody to pair him with. And there's probably plenty of, of different options that you can, you can go with, but you look at, you know, the high end potential of talent that could be there at 54. And this is another position to consider. Maybe you trade up a little bit to get a Jonathan Taylor or a JK Dobbins, because, you know, there's a, you know, at least somewhat of a drop off uh, in the third and fourth round, uh, depending on what you think of Cam Akers, will he still be there at 86 uh, and some other potential options there? Where do you guys fall on, you know, how the bill should fill that backup running back spot. And we'll talk about TJ Yeldon in a little bit because I want to, I want to lead that off with something else. I'm of the opinion that, you know, if you get one of those potential first rounders, you know, Swift, Jonathan Taylor, JK Dobbins, if they're somehow there at 54, the upgrade potential from TJ Yeldon getting 150 to 200 touches to Jonathan Taylor getting 150 to 200 touches is very significant for me. And I'm not a huge, let's just go spend assets on a running back kind of guy, but it's pretty clear that the type of offense that other teams run where they throw the ball 45 times a game, even with the addition of Stefan Diggs, that's not what McDermott's going to do. That's not what Brian Dable's going to do. So, those touches are going to be there. And if they're going to be given to somebody anyway, you might as well have them go to the most dynamic player possible. And I think there's an argument to be had for if one of those three is on the board, that they're the best player on the board at a position of need at that point. Now, if one of those players falls and Noah Igbenogany is there, that's a whole different story. Now you have to start weighting the value of a CB2 versus an RB an RB2. Now, to be fair, you can make an argument that Jonathan Taylor comes in. He's the RB1 of this team at that point. But I think that just purely looking at them as an offensive weapon rather than looking at them like a running back, I think you have to value the touches and maximizing the touches you can get and making the most out of those touches that are going to be in this offense anyway. 
So I'm not sure if I go Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm not sure if I go Akers because I don't know if they're going to be the best player on the board at 54. But if Dobbins, Swift, or Taylor is there, you have to at least think about it. I, yeah. it sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Okay. Uh, I, I think Taylor would be an ideal fit, compliment, whatever you want to say for, for Singletary. Uh, and if he's there at 54, you do have to consider it just because he, he very good chance he would be the best player available. Uh, now, latest mock draft that I did, I had Zach Moss. I think that he's kind of more of a, a bruiser, a, a big, powerful guy, kind of fits the mold of some of these running backs that they've had pairing with as like a number two, kind of like the Frank Gore, kind of the, you know, the Chris Ivory uh, that, that we've seen over the years. But I would like to also think that maybe the Bills are ready to transition to something a little bit different for that complementary role. Uh, going forward, and, and a guy like Taylor would be outstanding. Dobbins would bring great value as well. Swift, if he's there, I still think Swift's the first running back off the board, but you never know. It, it only takes one team to love a different back to go in another direction there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, like Bruce said, it's going to come down to Buffalo's board and whoever their best player available is. And, and if one of those three backs were there, it's a very good chance that they're going to be the best player available at that point. Yeah, I am firmly in the camp that if one of those three guys is there, I'm totally fine with taking them. If it's not one of those three guys, I'm probably not that enthused at any of the other options. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if you want to bring up Yeldon now. A lot of my a lot of my opinion on this is kind of I'm trying to calibrate myself so that I am not going to be disappointed if the Bills do something that is significantly different than what I want. And a lot of what I think the Bills are going to do is actually, you know, uh, somewhat impacted by the way that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been talking about TJ Yeldon. I I am I personally uh, think that there is some firework to that smoke. Uh, where a lot of people are talking about it as being total just smoke and, and coach speak or GM speak. Uh, so I don't know if you want to transition here, Matt, but that's that's what I'll say about the draft piece at least. Yeah, so I think that to give a little bit of um, background here on what actually Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been saying is, you know, you know it's a, it's a few things with TJ Yeldon. He accepted a role he probably signed up for when he came in. He probably came in with uh, you know a, a competing room with a chance to be the secondary back behind probably what most people thought was LaShawn McCoy when he signed before the draft. And he's he was coming off a year in 2018 when he he went for 900 all-purpose yards with five touchdowns. And you know, you take a look at those 150 touches and you subtract Frank Gore's uh workload last year and and add that in, what could this offense have looked have looked like last year. And I think one of the things with Yeldon for me is a lot of people say, well, he's he's not like what they want in their offense and that in that secondary role because they had Frank Gore, that downhill presence. Well, maybe they learned something last year that that's not the way to go. Like I think you can have three dynamic running backs as a, a la a San Francisco 49, 49ers with Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, uh, you know, even uh, Matt, Matt Breda. Breda. Yeah, three guys that are like dynamic with the ball that could do multiple things. When Frank Gore came into the game, you even watched it in the Houston game. Everything came, you know, screeching to a halt. And I think that with TJ, at the very least, you get a, a guy that's not going to blow you away in between the tackles. But I think that Devin Singletary blew me away in between the tackles last year. So I'm ready to have TJ Yeldon play that, that traditional third down role 
um, if that's your best option. And I'm not saying that they won't have a better option, but as it stands right now, I don't think you have to go after a Carlos Hyde or uh, a Lamar Miller. I think TJ Yeldon is fine in that role, unless you're going to maybe kick the tires on a Devonta Freeman. If that value, you know, becomes so good, you want to take a chance on that because of, you know, he had some really high end production at his peak, but again, injury problems for at least two of those three names. So there's a lot of options you can go. And I don't think you'd be going wrong with TJ Yeldon. I I am very okay with TJ Yeldon having a bigger role than I think most other people are. And the reason I'm okay with it is because it would it be great to have a higher dynamic running back uh, that we can really be confident is a higher dynamic running back than TJ Yeldon. Yes, that would be that would be fine. I would very much like that. But if we don't, the Bills, I mean the league in general is able to get decent production out of guys who have less cachet than TJ Yeldon. And he doesn't have a whole lot. So, you know, with that being the case, I, I just don't, if we have the opportunity to get a high end guy at 54, that would be fine. I, I, that would be great. If we do not, I really am not that worried about it because I do think that TJ Yeldon, uh, you know, he had some ball security uh, issues last season. And, you know, we have a joke running amongst, you know, uh, Bruce and I and, and Joe Marino that he's tackleable because of how upright that he runs. Mm -hmm. That was a, a word that was used to, to describe him by Joe Marino's brother. And, and we kind of think that was, that was funny. So we keep saying that, but I just don't, I, I'm just not that worried about, um, about TJ Yeldon. And I think that, you know, when Bean talks about, I remember scouting him when he came out and like, and he's referencing that Bean has a, has a reputation for being relatively candid. I mean, you guys talk to him more than Bruce and I do, or I mean, we've never talked to him. Right. So you and Ryan can talk about whether or not you think that that is, that's an accurate description of Bean. I just don't, you know, when he mentions like, yeah, I, I mean, I remember thinking highly of this guy years ago and I still do. And then we brought him in last year and I still thought of highly of him. Then I, I'm not convinced that the bills are as worried about that position as we, you know, a lot of people like us are. No, I, I think that's a fair point. Matt's actually mentioned a few times that, uh, you know, there, there was, they were going to go with Frank Gore last year. They, they, they respected Gore. They love Gore's game. Yeldon really didn't have a chance to get that running back two job. Uh, obviously, Gore's, you know, he's out the window now. He's still hoping to play somewhere in 2020, but I, I don't see it being in Buffalo, obviously. So now the door is open for Yeldon. And you never know what's going to happen in the draft in terms of where a prospect falls and a team, you know, the Bills then might have no choice but to add a running back or add some competition into the room. But Yeldon definitely has a much bigger and better opportunity in 2020. Uh, to make a week-by-week -week production or, you know, to make a contribution on a weekly basis than he did last season. I know I know. there's something cooking underneath that mask. Let it out. Let it out, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not a TJ Yeldon guy. I, I, I do think that TJ Yeldon was – so incredibly successful in Jacksonville that they felt the need to spend a top 10 pick on a running back so that they wouldn't have to give him the ball anymore. And, but then they still gave him the ball though. <laughs> they still gave him the ball because the you know, letter Fournette got banged up and right. Doug Marone likes his timeshares. So 
you know, TJ Yeldon, I think, is a replacement level running back. And I'm okay with that if your starter is Ezekiel Elliott and you're going to give him 350 touches. But if your starter is someone who has, is in an offense where philosophically Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott are on the same page when it comes to dual running backs, you saw Carolina with Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. They spent two, two first round picks on running backs. Two, one. And so they clearly believe in that second running back spot to such a significant degree that they're willing to invest massive resources in it. T.J. Eldon doesn't strike me as a massive resource. In fact, his two-year contract kind of seems like a hedge to me against the possibility of not finding what you want. I got to stop reading the comment section. I get the <laughs> feeling there... I'm being black at and I'm going to have to go back. Can I watch <laughs> Uh, here's they basically accused you of Dutch ovening yourself in your mask. That's what they're accusing you of. Uh, and if you see, if, if you're listening to this in, po- in podcast form, uh, if you could see Bruce right now, maybe I'll share a little image in the, in the notes, if that's possible. Yeah. Uh, you'll understand why it's so funny. Okay. So here's, here's the other thing about the bills in the running back position that makes me a little bit like oh, more. Okay. With Yeldon. When we signed Chris Ivory, I thought we were going to get, I mean, I, I'm going to hyperbolic. I thought we were going to get five yards out of him for the year. Like, I was not at all optimistic that Chris Ivory was going to do Jack. Can I swear? I don't know. What are we doing here? Yeah, go ahead. Jack shit. I didn't think we were going to get anything out of Chris Ivory. Okay. I also didn't think we were going to get anything meaningful on the field out of Frank Gore. Now, by the end of the season, we, we were having a hard time getting anything meaningful out of Frank Gore. But at the beginning of the season, I, we were getting more out of him than I I had, could even daydream of. He caught a couple passes too. Yeah. The of the season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in general, Frank Gore was productive to an extent that was way more than I expected. And I just, I, I believe that. It is. I believe it's totally possible for DJ TJ Yeldon to be more satisfactory than a lot of us are talking about. Now, again, if there's an opportunity to clearly upgrade over him at 54, I am on. I am on board, but I am not. I'm not worried or anxious that TJ Yeldon is a a, a significant liability for us in the offense. Uh, if, if we were to walk in with, you know, those two guys and then, uh, you know, fifth round or sixth round pick or street free agent guy and Taiwan Jones, I, I I'm not worried about it. Uh, that's me, but I, yeah, I, I just think that I've already been proven wrong twice and I'm just, I'm not going to continue to say that these guys that the bills believe are going to be productive at C- at running back two are not going to be productive anymore. You know, let me, let me just quickly chime in, Nick, and, and say that, you know, you were expecting Chris Ivory to only have about five yards rushing. That still would have been eight yards more than uh, Reggie Bush had with the Bills a few years back. We ended with negative three. So, different regime. And if somebody there. wants to spike the ball on me right now, Ryan, Mike Tolbert is the point that you should be uh, making. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. No, it's a good, lively conversation. I think that, you know, I think there's some people in Bill's mafia, some fans that really, really, really want one of these guys, because I think if you look at the top three backs that are, and and I tried to share this out last week, um, just to kind of put it in perspective about what, what like some of the top analysts 
think of this top end of, of this running back class. You know, those top three guys are in the top 40, or really top four. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is, is ranked in the top 40 in, in most big boards. And so we're talking about you know potentially two or three of them being available sometime early in the second round. That's insane value that without a first-round pick, it would almost feel like a first-round pick. So I get why some Bills fans are like, hell yeah, I'm sold. Go out there and get – a tag team partner for for Devin Singletary, but I've seen a lot of comments about Edward Solaire. I think he's he would mimic a lot of the things that Devin Singletary already does, and if that makes sense, if that's going to work in this in this offense, I'm not Brian Dable, I'm not Sean McDermott. Do do you do what you're going to do? But I think that you can, you know, you can kind of build around Devin Singletary a little bit differently and a little bit more um, economical, if you will than going out and spending that kind of asset on a guy that is still at the end of the day going to get less carries than Devin Singletary. So I think that that's, that's where I struggle with the, the running back at 54 is that no matter how good – it could be the top guy, it could be Swift, and you could, he could he'd be day one starter for a lot of guys. Here, he's going to be two on the depth chart. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I don't know. Bruce, do you think that Swift would come in as, as RB2 if he was here? I think any of the top three would walk in the door as RB1. I, I think that, and this is coming from like Devin Singletary, but when you have Devin Singletary will always be limited by the fact that he can't break the big one. He doesn't have the wheels for the long ball. And that's okay. You don't need that to be a starting running back in the NFL. You need vision and you need contact balance. And you combine that with his lateral agility. Devin Singletary is a starting running back in this in this league. He absolutely is, unless you have a dynamic RB1. And I think that's what Swift and Taylor and Dobbins are. They have the ability to be, I mean, especially someone like Dobbins, who can get you the correct decision to get you to four yards. And that's great. But he's also got the wheels to be able to take that four yards and take it 40. And so I like Devin Singletary. I, I was fine with him. He was a top five running back for me last year. I was fine with taking him when we did last year, assuming we got rid of LaShawn McCoy. Let me make sure I clarify that. But we did get rid of LaShawn McCoy, and I think Devin Singletary had a great first year. But these are dynamic players. The reason we're even having this discussion is because there's a possibility of a player that really shouldn't be there from a talent standpoint. Right. Being right. 54. That's how good they are. There's a chance we have all these discussions about it, and none of them are there. <laughs> Perino, Perino, you you say that you you say that Singletary is RB one no matter what, and you just get that sense because of how much they love him. I think that combined with the whole mantra in the building, like you come in here and you, you earn, earn everything. It. So yeah. if you could call, you can go out there and get one of the top backs, but Devin Singletary earned that job last year. I mean. 5.1 yards per carry for the season, but you know, the usage rate and the, the production, the way that he broke, he just, he embodies their process, their culture. Like, I think that, you know, there's a, uh, and I think, I think it's a little bit mixed though, because I think Brandon Bean did say a little, send a little mixed messages. I think it was last week on the call with, I don't know what he said, but I think he's like, we're happy with, with Devin. Right, and Go ahead. right now. Back for now. Right, right. So to me, I, I guess that could kind of throw you off a little bit, but I I think they like what he brings from a consistency standpoint. And I think the way 
I think they like that he's got a little bit of Frank Gore in him at running back one. And whether you like that or you don't like that, or you think that a higher end guy could come in here and be that running back one, I just, I think they will defer to that. And I think the evidence is how they stuck with Frank Gore, even as he struggled down the stretch with an option like TJ Yeldon uh, available. So I don't know. I, I, I could see both ways. I, and if, if somebody did come in here, yeah, sure. That would make sense. If they were, they were that much better and they earned the job and they had more high-end playmaking ability. Uh, but I think that they they do believe in Singletary to be RB1. I think it's going to be hard for another guy, a rookie especially, to come in and earn the job with a limited offseason, which it looks like by all sense and purposes, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. That's a fair point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. All right. Well, we might as well move on because Ryan just <laughs> shut that one down. Great. No, this it was a great conversation, and I, and I like I like it. It's gonna it's gonna tell us a lot when the draft happens about what they think about this. A lot of these spots. Uh, but I want to end on a, what could be a real firecracker here, um, as we talk about the AFC East looking ahead. And this this conversation will be even better after the draft. Will really you know be much more in focus. What kind of moves do does the New England Patriots make to? address quarterback i'm still not buying the fact that they're ready to go full on into 2020 with jared stidham at the helm but we'll see cam newton Jameis uh, winston still out there still potential options is maybe uh you know bill belichick comes to his senses maybe <laughs> no i'm just kidding so we're looking at this afc east picture here and i'm obviously not super high on jared stidham um a lot of the talk the last week has been Brandon Bean's uh, comments about how we haven't done anything yet. The the New England Patriots are still the New England Patriots until we go out there and beat them. And I respect that. And it's very coach speak. It's very team speak. But I think the baton has been passed. And I think that the mentality should be, if I'm a Bills fan, I want the mentality to be what Isaiah McKenzie said last week, that we have enough talent on this team to go to the Super Bowl. That should be the expectation. We are one of the kingpins in this division now. We have the talent. One of the areas that we were lacking last year offensively, we went on to address that. We brought in Stefan Diggs. We're bringing back everybody. We added a couple pieces that, you know, former Pro Bowl or all pros, that if they can return to form on both sides of the ball and Darrell Williams and Josh Norman, wow, what could we be? Not to mention the fact that you have a Josh Allen entering year three with continuity with his offensive coordinator and his quarterback's coach who will be together for the second season. I think you should have that chip on your shoulder, even if that's not what they're saying. Where do you guys come down on this? I don't know what else you would expect Brandon Bean to say in that case, because that seems to me like an absolute no-brainer to say what he said. Because – I think when you talk about baton getting passed and you talk about torches getting passed, the torch isn't passed when the Patriots drop it. It's passed when the Bills pick it up. And so far, they haven't picked it up yet. They haven't won the, the division yet. Now, they, they should. They're the most talented team in this division. I don't think it's particularly close at this point. But until we pick it up, it's not ours. So if you have an opportunity as a general manager – to continue to play the underdog card and continue to say, well, there's no evidence yet, and you don't have to face the reality that you're now the targeted one, you're now the one who's going to get everybody's best shot every Sunday. If you don't have to face that reality, 
I don't know why you would voluntarily choose to do it by saying something like, yes, it's our division. Now, the players saying that is different than Brandon Bean saying that. Brandon Bean should say what he said. And Isaiah McKenzie should also say what he said. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, Bruce. Brandon wasn't asked about it. I'm pretty sure if you go back and listen to that clip, he just kind of added it on the end of his quote. Like, and I get it. You want to send that message and that's fine. But I think that, and, and I understand the process, but I'm talking about from a Bills fans perspective. Do Bills fans, are they looking at this like, man, we still got to slay the giant. I don't think there's a giant on that side anymore. I don't, I don't think fans feel that way. I do think, you know, for the most pessimistic and the most anxious fans, they're going to look at the season when Brady tore his knee and they, and the Patriots were still, you know, were still very respectable and competitive with Matt Castle. Here's the difference. That Patriots team. Um, I mean, the Patriots team right now is very under talented. I mean, they, they, they have some problems, you know what I mean? Like, especially on the offensive side of the ball. One of the reasons arguably why Brady was leaving is because they could not supply him with, things that he needed. So um, there is, I, I, it's apples and oranges. If you want to go back to that, not to mention that the league is a little bit different now than it was, you know, at that point in time. So um, I think that Bill's fans are optimistic and are saying, yeah, absolutely. We should go win the East and we're confident that we should do that. Um, but I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's still true that, you know, you sound kind of like an ass whenever you say that you, you sound like Rex Ryan, whenever you talk about you're going to go do this and you haven't done it at all and, and you still have to prove it, but you talk about it with confidence that you're going to go do it. That's my opinion. But wasn't that still with Tom Brady in the division when Rex Ryan was saying all that nonsense? No, like, I'm just saying, a- I'm saying you sound like Rex Ryan as I mean, anytime you sound like Rex Ryan in as a person, uh, whether he's a commentator or a coach or anything, which is just not, if somebody, if somebody described me as saying, Oh, he's very Rex Ryan ish. I wouldn't take that as a compliment. So that's what I'm trying to say, I guess. So would you want to hear from Brandon at some point or Sean that the expectation is to win the division? Uh, yes, I would say that the expectation is, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to be upset about it. Not that it's way. not. Not that it's not. Like every year, they want to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I guess that's. I what I hear when you if when you give me that like you give me that situation, I'm going to say ah, I kind of feel like they say that all the time. Like you know, the championship is the goal, right? Like right, right. all that kind. Of, to me, it's still going to sound sort of like non-controversial. Um, but if they were going to add some bluster to it and kind of, you know, say this is ours, you know, it's not the Patriots anymore it, for them to say that the way that I think, you know, you're, you're sort of talking about it to me would, would, would not, um, wouldn't be the way I would want them to. Great, com- uh, great comment in the comment section, by the way, if you've seen the movie, uh, I can't remember it was the Tom Hanks movie, but it's like New England, the bills are the captain now. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was that movie? Captain Phillips. Captain, Captain Phillips. Phillips. There you go. Very good. The right side of the screen's got to have some hot take here. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say a hot take. I'm kind of in the same boat as Bruce, where I want to see the Bills actually beat the Patriots. I want to see that actually happen. Out two close, uh, close games last year, they couldn't pull out either one. Uh, I'm not willing to say that this is their division yet. Bill Belichick is still a great coach. It wouldn't shock me if he changes philosophy this year and went with a ground and pound approach on offense. Really grinded out some games. I know they lost some games on defense. 
Uh, but they still have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. So I, I'm not willing to say that this is the Bills division just yet, but I, I will I will acknowledge that obviously they lost Tom Brady. That's huge. And, and they lost Dante Scarnecchi, and I think that's a huge loss for this team too. Best O-line coach pro- uh, probably in the history of the NFL. And now all of a sudden you, you lose that, you lose Tom Brady. This offense could be a lot worse uh, than what some people are expecting. I know some people say Stidham is going to be respectable. He can kind of carry the load. They can still bring in a Winston or a Newton if they can get their cap situation kind of handled or, or get an agreeable terms there. But right now, I just can't say that this is the Bills division to win. The talent's there, absolutely, but I need to see it with my own eyes, see them defeat the Patriots and take care of their own business. Well, there it is. Ryan Talbot putting a bow on the evening. Uh, thank you so much to everybody that watched tonight. Uh, listen, uh, this was a real fun time to connect with uh, Nick Nick and Nolan, uh, their show, their podcast. You can find it on wherever you get your podcast as part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Uh, why don't you guys take a moment, let everybody know where uh, you, they can find your work. Uh, I know that you guys both are writing for the website now over at Rumblings as well. Yeah, um, you could find me on Twitter at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. We actually have two podcasts that are dropping tomorrow uh, and and Friday. Uh, they are actually pods that are solo with me and uh, Eric Wood. He has his own podcast uh, called What's Next with Eric Wood. And a couple of weeks back, he did an episode where he interviewed EJ Manuel. And it was the first time I had really heard anything where EJ talked about his time with the Bills. I found it to be... Um, you know, I was captivated by it, frankly, uh, in a lot of ways, mostly because I'm very interested, you know, in what the experience is like for a, a professional athlete, whatever they talk about their experience, whenever things don't go the way they should. Um, and, you know, fan base turns on and all that stuff. So we're going to play some of the audio from Eric's interview and then uh, Eric introduces it. And then on Friday, Eric and I are going to have a conversation about his thoughts on the perspective from being inside the locker room. So you can find that in any podcast app this week. And then moving forward, it'll be back to normal with normal Nick and Nolan with both of us together. And we're especially ramping up with some good draft stuff. And I'll let Bruce plug that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. My avatar is much more attractive than this right here. And uh, we're we're excited to get the, the draft stuff really peaking in the next couple of weeks here before the draft we got about two weeks from tomorrow until the draft comes and so we're going to do a personal rankings episode where we're going to go through top five players on my board at positions of need and we're going to do a special episode that we're going to try i'm going to try and compete for nick's approval with uh, some mock drafting tools that we're going to be using so i think it's going to be a lot of fun i'd invite everybody to, to follow us on twitter and to make sure they're checking us out on buffalo rumblings they have great stuff, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can find Ryan and my work over on nyupinsyracuse.com. Uh, we'll have you covered as well on the draft uh, the next couple of weeks. Uh, I think I'm going to be dropping my uh, top 10 targets in the fourth round tomorrow morning, and, and Ryan will follow up later this week with his top uh, top targets in the fifth round. Ryan, uh, what else you got coming? Uh, looking at the overhaul of the Bills offense from, from when Brendan Bean took over, looking at more draft content as well, and just kind of keep an eye out there in the free agent market, see if there's any more potential signings on the horizon. Well, thanks again, guys. Bruce, stay safe. Uh, Nick, uh, stay sane because that looks like a lot to deal with. And uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on. Have a great night. Thanks, guys.